Good day, and thank you for joining Downstate Abbey. It's a pleasure to share some time with my fellow New Yorkers. I'm always eager to hear from people who are willing to contribute their perspective, their insights as to some of the issues that we're facing here in our state. I think that we're at a point of really a crossroads in our our state and in the policymaking that we're seeing take shape. There's been a great deal of concern for me, you know, being a, a lifelong citizen of this state. I've been here for 40 plus years and I really love it too much to just leave. I've made that very clear before and I, I stand by that statement, at least for the time being, but I realize we've got some really pressing issues ahead of us. And my concern from day one has truly been people are uninformed to a very large extent as to laws that have been changed in recent months in the past, say, year and a half. Uh, the bail reform in and of itself is something that should have the attention of absolutely every New Yorker. Beyond that, we now, you know, ushered in this whole COVID-19 situation and crisis um, that erupted a few months after the bail reform went into effect. And with that came just really a torrential downpour of changes to laws, many of which we as New Yorkers, we don't even know about. Our governor, Andrew Cuomo, took it upon himself to basically grant himself executive power to make pretty much any decision he wants, moving funds around, really answering to no one. And it's finally getting to a point where lawmakers are, I guess, mustering up some courage to say, hey, you know, maybe we should shut this down at some point. It's getting a little out of hand. It's like, yes, let's all give them the standing slow clap. Yes, great. Wonderful. You're only about seven months late in observing that, but better late than never, I suppose. However, there are issues that are of huge concern. I mean, I've talked in past podcasts about just how deeply concerned I am over the fact that we're truly putting dangerous individuals right back out into our communities, and they are victimizing again. They absolutely are. I'm going to talk about that in a, in a later podcast today, but today I have an opportunity to talk about something that might be a little bit less severe in the sense that it doesn't involve violence, it doesn't involve, you know, sexually violent crimes against our women and children like so many of these reforms and laws and uh, really dismantling of laws involve. That's deeply troubling on every level. Everyone should be completely taking notice at to that and really paying attention to how these laws are changing because we owe it to each other to look out for each other and to especially look out for people who cannot advocate for themselves. Um, on, on the same vein of the impact of the COVID-19 crisis and how it's been handled here in our state, I just want to talk a little bit about the various entertainment industries and other I guess we consider them kind of peripheral, non-essential, in quotes, industries, but they've really been decimated by just this societal shutdown that we have faced. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, we can look at these non-essential industries as you know, strictly non-essential, but we really would do well to look a little bit deeper and understand just how these industries play a very vital role in really impacting lives beyond our state, even beyond our country, into the global community. Um, if you have never researched, you know, supply chains and just the impact of global economics, I would really encourage you to do so. And I'd really encourage you to look at the way that our governors honestly just kind of hack job, broad 
widespread, not really well thought out closing down of industries, whether you were in a town that had a population of 7,000 or 700,000, just a lot of these policies were just blanket, boom, shutting people down. And what I want to talk about today is a little bit about how that has a huge impact. If you're shutting down restaurants that would otherwise be consuming enormous amount of foodstuffs that would be farmed by farms in, you know, across the nation where migrant workers are working, where you know, truck drivers rely on being able to transport this foodstuff, where you know, there's just so many steps along the way from bringing food from farm to table, bringing, you know, beverages from vineyard to table. And all of it really does support a much bigger picture. I've been reading a lot lately about how this societal shutdown is actually triggering mass food shortages in parts of the world that were already starvation vulnerable, but this has kind of been the tipping point. And along with, you know, the restaurant industry comes the the, the fine arts music industries, entertainment, all of them quite often weave into each other. And you can just see that in in your own life, how quite often music is part of something that involves you, you know, consuming meals, food, being a patron at restaurants, maybe patronizing an establishment where you need to get lodging for the night. All of them are so interconnected and it becomes important to see that they're all truly essential. When we look at the piece pieces of the puzzle, we really all need each other. And it's not, it's not callous. It's not superficial to say, hey, you know, we need to start advocating for people in these industries, these people that are involved in the performing arts, that are involved in, you know, providing live music, you know, audio engineering, music festivals, things that happen that stimulate the area economy, but also stimulate that, you know, the national economy. And it's not enough for us to just say, oh, well, we've just shut everything down because we're being kept safe, because we can clearly see there's policies in place that are doing anything but keeping us safe. So if you want to really have a conversation about that, I'm ready. And we're going to talk about the bail reform in my next episode because we've got more horrible, horrible stuff happening to people endangering entire communities that's a direct result of the bail reform. So please don't tell me that by shutting down restaurants and shutting down the music industry and fine arts industries, we're being kept safe because you the governance of our state clearly proves time and again that safety of its citizens is not a top priority. So I want to talk um, about just the impact on people who do provide music for a living, the musicians. I have a young woman who's calling in today. Her name is Sarah Milanovic. Um, she and I actually hail from the same small town here in upstate New York. She has always been a bit of a musical prodigy, and she joined up with um, some really fantastic, you know, bluegrass bands over the recent years and has made a living providing, you know, really beautiful music and really beautiful settings to people. That's her livelihood. And she's been very, very negatively impacted by what has gone on with this just kind of widespread shutdown and just the impact of it. So I just wanted to give her an opportunity to kind of share her insights and just her perspective because it's important. It's important for us to listen to each other. It's important for us to um, hear the hearts of people who are living experiences that might be outside of our, our normal. So I'm going to be talking to Sarah shortly. We're actually giving her a call right about now.
So I was I was opening up this segment by explaining that um, to our listeners that there's really a huge impact had by these widespread shutdowns of you know, music industries and all of the kind of peripheral businesses that are supported by music industries and um, everything that goes along with that. And so I just wanted to give give you a chance to maybe share your experience some, from, say, the middle of March to now and what, what your perspective is as someone who makes their living in, in the music industry. Well, it's been, it's been quite frankly, devastating um, for us. So um, I've I've been a freelancer and also worked in pretty much every sector of the music and, and entertainment industry since I was 16 years old, um, whether in touring bands um, or, you know, as a recording uh, musician. And on March 10th this year, I was subbing the violin chair in the Broadway show, Come From Away. Mm. And... Um, we knew that, that bad things were coming. We knew what was going to happen and that it was really only a matter of time. But I don't think anybody could have predicted then um, how things would look now. Certainly. And so we, we left after the show on March 10th and everybody was, you know, already being very careful and trying not to get too close and massive hand washing and all of that going on. Sure. Said, uh, said see you later. And on March 12th, Broadway went dark. Mm. And... By that weekend, um, I had other I had other gigs scheduled with artists that weekend, and by that weekend, every everything I had through the spring was completely canceled, hmm. and it's been kind of a rolling blackout. Right now, our calendar is completely empty, um, barring a couple of uh, outdoor gigs, um, weather permitting, coming sure. up. But that's pretty much going to be it, and it's. It's uh, nobody ever argued the necessity of the shutdown. Um, everybody, especially in the city, especially in, in Broadway, we all knew that it was absolutely necessary. Um, and in fact, some of my bandmates and colleagues down there um, actually did have their own run-ins with COVID. And some of them, you know, they, they all thankfully recovered from it, but some of them had very difficult experiences with it. So um, I don't, don't think anybody was saying uh let's reopen um it's more a question of how are we going to weather this as an industry and as a community while we're waiting for the ability to open our doors again certainly that's that's the frustrating situation that we're in right now is that um at this point we're kind of feeling like uh collateral damage um even though as an industry you know, Broadway alone contributes more to the um, tri-state economy than every single other professional sports team combined. So That's there's astounding. definitely a sense of of sadness and frustration sure. from, uh, where we're at right now. Sure. That's that's understandable. And I, what a wild ride 2020 has been for sure, to say the least. Um, has there been anything along the way that you think, uh, whether in hindsight or whether even in that moment, you could point to and, and suggest it could have been or should have been handled differently? And what would your suggestions be to be respectful of the need to, um, you know, navigate the waters of COVID-19 in a sensible way, but not leave this path of destruction of collateral damage in your industry and so many others? I think it's it's important to make a distinction, um, especially when you're reopening. And I, I don't, 
I think everybody was in basic agreement that unfortunately the shutting down everything in the spring was really the only way that we could go about things. And, you know, we're, uh, you know, it was unfortunate, but I think everybody's pretty much in, in agreement that it had to be done. Um, I think what could help us a lot now is more of a distinction between what constitutes live music, what constitutes a live event, because there are, of course, every part of the state has its own, has its own zone and and its own um, phase of reopening based on, hopefully based on the science and based on the case levels and um, statistics. And I think there needs to be more nuance and more consideration in that because I can completely understand not uh, allowing a theater to open at 100% capacity, where your business model is basically based on cramming as many people together in as tight a space as possible. Right. Um, that makes sense. Um, ag and markets prohibiting concerts at you pick orchards does not seem to be in that same sensible approach. And the frustration for us right now is that no one seems to be distinguishing between the two. Mm. There's just kind of blanket policy. And, and uh, what is the current regulation now pertaining to your industry specifically? So what we're dealing with right now is um, if you are a restaurant or a, a venue that holds a liquor license, the New York State Liquor Authority has prohibited um, ticket sales or advertising of musical concerts. Um, you can still have what's considered incidental music. So if you want to have a random guitarist tucked away in the corner of a jazz brunch, as long as you're not <laughs> advertising it as such, that's apparently legal. I'm just but picturing it play out. Ticketing it's... and advertising a concert, um, are, are, those are not allowable. And um, the same goes for orchards at this point. And, and this is kind of the thing that we're having the most problem with from a, an administrative level. <laughs> Yeah, that seems like it would be incredibly, incredibly challenging. Um, what were some of the larger music gigs that you were on, on tap for this spring and summer that got completely, I guess that got completely canceled that you think maybe could have been pulled off in a way that still respected social distancing and, and um, you know, sensible COVID-19 guidelines, if you can think of any that, that would fall under that criteria? I, I don't think there were any during the summer. I think the hard the hard position that a lot of festivals that were in, and we lost every festival that we had on our calendar. Every, everything's been bumped forward until next year. Mm. Um, the real tough place that festival organizers are in is that they have to make these decisions so far out in advance just yeah. because of the logistics and, and liability yeah. of having those people. And I think by the time people figured out that alternative, um, methods like, um, the drive through the drive in movies, um, turning those into concert venues or, um, some of the community concerts were able to pivot, um, the concerts on the greens and stuff that, that many communities would have in the summer. Some of those were able to come back and just say, look, we're, we're spacing off everybody's lawn chairs and we just have new protocols. Mm. Um, but I think by the time the larger festivals were able to figure that out, it would have just been too late for them to, to have had their infrastructure 
in place for that. So uh, the timing was just really unfortunate. But we did see, um, you know, some of the smaller community concerts, they were able to rearrange the way they did things and then have an abbreviated season or at least have some sort of programming. So we did see a bit of that. But yeah, that's so well, that's a very good insight from somebody on the inside, for sure. Uh, with regard to Broadway and moving forward, from your perspective, what what would be a sensible approach, if if any, to reopening in the foreseeable future or even in the in the more distant future? I mean, I, I realize it's a loaded question, but just curious. You've had some great insights thus far, so I'm just curious what you would suggest. I think it's going to be a long time coming for Broadway um, because their model is so um, dependent on on density. I, the the um, math of being able to operate a production um, that you're only be able to sell one quarter of the ticket sales and your target demographic are generally older and therefore more at risk uh, segments of the population coming from out of town. Okay, um, sure. As a driver of tourism, I think that's a completely different set of risk factors that make the, the situation with something like Broadway or with um, some of the larger clubs and, uh, you know, and, and other venues in, in spaces like New York City um, much more challenging. Right. Right. Most definitely. Well, it's, I, I really, I truly, truly feel for you guys. I mean, I, I do, it's gotta be a very, very hard thing to, to go through to have something that you, well, first of all, you make a living at, and second of all, that you're so passionate about just kind of be, be shut down kind of indefinitely. I mean, I don't know if there's been any plan moving forward specifically for uh, your industry to, I mean, I know we're heading into winter now, so a lot of the outdoor options are are getting probably smaller and less likely to happen. Uh, what is what is your plan for people in your industry? Are we going to plan B with our careers for the time being? Is there any sort of, you know, lobbying or advocacy growing up going on to try to push for you know just some more sensible parameters in place? Uh, can you say the last bit of that again, Abby? I just lost you for a minute. There. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, Sorry. I probably I probably lost my train of thought anyway. So, um, <laughs> um, just would you suggest anything moving forward that could be some really sensible, specific parameters to make it possible for, say, a restaurant that's having a jazz brunch to be able to say, "Hey, we're having a jazz brunch," versus somebody having to, you know, sneak a saxophone in and play in the corner. You know, I'm I'm just using that as the example because you you kind of alluded to that you know, playing out and not being able to A, advertise and B, you know, pull, pull it off in a way that still is sensible and as safe as possible for everyone involved? Or, and are there some changes that your industry is kind of pushing for on a legislative level to to give some freedom and, and room for safe growth to your industry? Yeah, so that, that's, that's a great question. Um, so that's a two-part answer. Um, on the local and state legislative level, what we really need and what a lot of local venues that I know are pushing for, including venues like uh, Cafe Lena, which are folk clubs, and um, you know the town crier, they would really like to see some distinction between, you know, I, I guess the alleged fear is that if you advertise music as an event, it will somehow encourage people to 
linger and start dancing or I don't know, it, it will have some sort of problem with social distancing. And um, I was speaking with Phil Saganer, who owns the town crier down in Beacon uh, the other day. And, and Phil goes, I think these people don't understand uh, the kind of folk music that we have. <laughs> right. <in>. Um, <laughs> because the, these venue owners are, and they rightfully point out that if you sell tickets for an event, you know exactly what your capacity is and you know how to control your your audience and yeah. control your space. And so that's actually one way to make it a lot safer um, yeah. is to do that. And I think there just need to be better protocols for, you know, there, there should be advertised ticketed events so that you know how many people are going to be there and where to put them and how to deal with your amenities and how to keep everyone safe and distanced and apart. And knowing how many people are going to be there is kind of a very very helpful and selling tickets is kind of a really good way to do that. So I think there needs to be some legislative distinction on that in a way that, yeah, we'll continue to ensure that people aren't getting all messy and, and slobbery at discos or whatever while still allowing listening rooms. To listen, listen, business. Abby. Yeah, Abby, we're not crowd surfing tonight. Just get it under exactly. control. No I'm crowd sure, surfing, yeah. uh, no licking right. one another. No licking one another. Just shut me right down if I get out of hand at the brunch, okay? Please promise okay, me you yes. will. Thank you. you. You can't do that, Abby. <laughs> not this, not this time. But the other thing that we really need... <laughs> The other thing that we really need desperately in the meantime um, is we need aid from the federal government. Um, there's a, uh, a movement. There's actually a, the first lobbyist uh, group that was formed during the pandemic called the National Independent Venue Association, where all of these venues from super large clubs to just tiny little coffee houses got together to try to have a unified voice um, to lobby for some support because... I mean, I can speak firsthand as an artist saying it, it's one thing to have your entire tour canceled, but try rebooking it into a place that doesn't know whether they're going to survive another year mm, or not. Yeah, what a disaster. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, Very challenging. You know, paycheck protection uh, program helped in the very, very meantime, but it was only meant to cover payroll for a certain amount of months. And if you are in if you're operating or you're in an industry that is not allowed to reopen, mm. um, those funds are not going to cover you right. anymore. So right. there is a, um, an act called the Save Our Stages Act. Um, and that uh, hopefully it, it is seeing some, uh, some bipartisan support. Of course, everything gets tied up in all sorts of things. But um, without some sort of... Um, funding support from the federal and also from state governments, a lot of these venues are not going to be able to survive because you still have to keep paying insurance. You still have to keep paying your utilities and, and rent on a space that you're not allowed to use. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, we, we need more of a stopgap than, than other places. And I, I think, I, w I think I'd like to also see it referred to um, more as an economic driver because, um, it's it's lovely as an artist to hear the arts talked about for art's sake, but it's really important to not underestimate the economic impact mm. of, of a venue that not only 
supports the artists and the people that work there, but the restaurant down the street, the farmers that supply those restaurants. Um, yeah, it's you know, great the, that the you're... The trucking community, and it's such a ripple effect. <laughs> this is so funny, because before I called you, uh, wait, well, if and when you listen to this in podcast in its entirety, you'll hear that everything you're saying was what I was opening this segment with, how uh, you know the arts industry is such a... Everything you just said, it, it was encapsulated in how I opened this segment, and also talking about how... Um, you know, with global supply chains and global economics, our, our restaurants here have an impact far beyond our immediate townships, our, even our state, even our nation. And, and part of what I've been researching with, with regard to, you know, the societal shutdown in, in various capacities is just the way it is impacting the global community and taking, taking uh, people groups who were kind of on the fringe of having uh, food shortages and it's really taking them careening over the rails into full-on, you know, famine, starvation scenarios because our, our, our economy and the drives behind it, what makes people want to spend money has a huge impact beyond even our own personal lives. And I, I think that the arts is, is like you said, it's a huge driver of that. I mean, people are very willing to spend on lodging, on food, on transportation, on all kinds of stuff to, to go enjoy music and really, you know, go watch or hear something that just makes their heart sing. So I, I think that's a really, really great point. And I, I appreciate you, you know, being willing to share your insights. I know you've been in the business a long time and I certainly hope that there's a lot of years ahead for you and so many others who make the world a more beautiful place with your craft. So thank you. Um, I, I do need to wrap up in the next couple of minutes or so. If you want time for any closing thoughts, Sarah, feel free. We definitely appreciate you spending time here today. Oh, well, thanks, Abby. Thanks so much for having me on. And I, I can't wait to, uh, listen to this, uh, in podcast form when I'm, when I'm not standing in the parking lot of, uh, the Adirondack I know. experience in Blue Mountain Lake. <laughs> I um, know. This is so <laughs> hilarious. Like we're so... <laughs> Trust me, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is my poor sound engineer here, Jeff. Like, I, I'm just a hot mess, and he somehow pulls it all together. But we, we've done some weird stuff with cell phones and people on the road. And wherever you're standing now getting the only cell service in the area, I thank you for standing there with us. So. I've, I've had it much worse, though. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, right. <laughs> but thank you so well, much, it was, Sarah. It was certainly my pleasure. And, and thank it's, you. It's nice to uh, it's, it's very nice to talk to you. And, and um, I would encourage your listeners um, – do what they can to not forget about us and, and the ripple effect that, that we have on your communities. And as you said, beyond that, you know, nationally and globally as well. And, um, you know, write your, write your legislators in support of, of the Save Our Stages Act. And by, you know, if you're looking to get some new music, uh, go to Bandcamp and can see if your favorite artist is on there and buy it directly from them rather than going right to Spotify. Mm, um, good point. Very good point. Know, buy some Buy some merch. Um, Buy some merch, you know, Spotify man. Spotify gives us peanuts. I can imagine. The streaming, you know, everybody says, oh, do the live streaming thing. And, and we've done a bit of it. And, and it's it, it's useful, but it doesn't um, it doesn't pay the bills the way that live gigs did. And, and, right. and you don't get the sense of human connection either. But, right. you know, in the meantime, follow your favorite artists and, and look them up and try to buy their music from them directly or from Bandcamp. And, um, awesome. You know, and, and lobby your representatives to not forget about the arts. Awesome. Because uh, it's not just the arts. It's, it's like you said, the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry. Yeah. Um, 
the technical industry, the trucking industry. Yeah, there's so much attached to it. You're absolutely right. So much attached to it. And I will, I mean, I I do have a Downstate Abbey Facebook page. And Sarah, if you want to share anything ever with me, I'd be happy to share that with with our audience just to help keep them in the loop as to how they can help you help help the industry as a whole. So thank you for your time. It's truly appreciated. Well, thanks so much. And uh, I will do that. I'll head over to your Facebook page uh, once I get back on the grid. Well, right. Get out of the parking lot. Enjoy your camping trip and then (laughs) come back to some Wi-Fi in a few days. (laughs) Yeah, that that is the plan. That's the plan. Well, enjoy your time unplugged. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks so much, Abby. It was really nice speaking with you. Thank you. uh, You I can't wait to hear the podcast and, and catch up with it all on the other side. Absolutely. Thanks again. You take care. Bye-bye. Well, very well said, and what a great opportunity to hear from someone who really, I mean, I, I, she has so many great insights as to what can be done on a practical level to save these industries and to really, you know, lessen this just completely decimating impact of just complete blanket shutdowns that really aren't, aren't taking into consideration a lot of the nuances of the industry in ways that things can flex in a way that, that makes sense. So uh, please be sure to keep an eye on the Downstate Abbey Facebook page. I will give Sarah Milanovic uh, any opportunity she would like to take to use it as a platform to keep all of you informed as to how you can help to save the arts industry and really push to have, like I said, some sensible changes in place and help people make a living at truly making the world a, a better, more beautiful place. So thank you for your time today. I love you all and do something amazing today. Oh.